Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Joe Cook. Today, I am joined by Justin Wells. Thank you for watching this video. Come into our channel. Make sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel, turn on notifications so you can never miss any of the daily video content that me, Justin, Bobby, Trey, all of us are providing uh, round the clock almost. Also, make sure you check out InsideTexas.com. Uh, it is just under a month, I believe, or over a month, maybe around a month until National Signing Day. Texas has a top 10 class and still has some guys left on the recruiting board that they'd like to have jump into the boat. We'll have all that coverage. We'll have coverage of the last two games, maybe three games, maybe four games. And of course, keeping track of hoops, which is off to an exciting start. But this is on Texas football. We'll get to that maybe down the road. But Justin, Another big one this week. It's another prove it game in the uh, twelve the the twelve game season for the Longhorns, and it's against a upstart Kansas Jayhawk program in year two under Lance Leipold. Yeah, I, I think we saw the upstart late last year. I, I think what they're doing this year was a little bit of a carryover after coming to Austin and, and beating Texas in overtime last fall. I feel like that was Leipold's signature win. That was kind of his uh, little coming out party, and and and, and you got to give that guy a ton of credit. I mean, Joe, Kansas is a different animal now. They are well coached. They they have some good players. Jalen Daniels is exciting. Devin Neal is a, is a beast. Like they got some dudes. And so this is not your your typical Kansas football program anymore. This is a good group of guys uh, underneath, uh, you know, a really exciting young coach who's probably going to get a ton of calls if he hasn't already over the next few months. And so the one thing I like about this matchup is the fact that Texas did lose last year. And so that there's some added incentive. Uh, a lot of times you, you may, you know, show up in Lawrence and, and, and walk around before you're really into it. I don't expect that on Saturday, especially coming off the loss to TCU the week before and how bad the offense plays. I think there's a lot of, hey, let's get back on track. Hey, let's do what we're good at. Hey, let, let, let's get back to where we were earlier in the year, especially on the offense. And so Kansas presents a um, a unique situation and opportunity. Yeah, I'm with you there. And this will be a little bit different Kansas for, for uh, Texas players to face. If you remember, a lot of these guys haven't been there uh, since 2018. The 2020 game against Kansas was canceled. Uh, 2018 Kansas team was nothing to write home about. Still gave the Longhorns a game before uh, they the Texas made it to the Big 12 championship game, but wasn't much of an environment. And it'll be cold, but that Kansas team and that Kansas crowd is as energized as they've ever been. Already bowl eligible, playing well. Jalen Daniels could come back. Uh, but I think what you talked about, Texas and doing things well, that's going to be important, running the ball. But as we've seen, running the ball for Texas is a little bit of a task if their quarterback is not doing things well. And over the past couple of weeks, we've gotten a lot of freshman performances from Quinn Ewers. We see the throws that makes everybody go ooh and ah over him, as uh, made everybody go ooh and ah over him as a prospect and even still as a college player. But it's just been hit or miss. It's been real up and down for him. And I was really kind of pleased to see this week that despite Steve Sarkeesian saying, yeah, he's doing a nice job, even Quinn Ewers, when I asked him, like, how do you feel like your mechanics and footwork are going? He said, I, I have to get better. I, I've been lazy in that department. Uh, if you go check out Inside Texas and see the film room piece that I did on him, it kind of shows that 
on some of those deep connections. He has had lazy footwork. He's tried to, and I've used this before, Mahomes the ball. Patrick Mahomes is a verb now. He's tried to just yeah. Mahomes the ball and use his arm. And while he's got arm talent, it, it just, you know, you have to have the whole the whole process down. And that's what they're going to need to see from, from Quinn Ewers this week in order to have a chance to lighten up the box against the Jayhawks. I like that the he he gets he he gets away with that Mahomes stuff type stuff. That's the off platform uh, type stuff as well. And you know him and him and uh, Patrick they, they work out the same place. They, they 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 do they train with the same guys. And so there's some carry over there. Uh, and like you said, he tries to get away with the arm talent, but but sometimes you have to get back to to the basics. You got to remember that. And I love, I love how he's owning up to a lot of this because Quinn is one guy that won't make excuses, and I think that's very enlightening. But you know, this is a game. No matter how well Quinn plays, Joe, you Bijan Robinson has to touch the ball more than twelve times. Rashawn Johnson has to be on the field for more than what 11, 12 snaps. Like this has to, that has to change. Your two best prospects at the next level have to be more involved. Uh, it, I felt like T, I felt like they, they 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 tried that with TCU early and got away got away from it and never actually went back to it and that wound up biting them in the end. I don't anticipate that happening in Lawrence. This is a put up or shut up type game. You know, get get down there, run the dang ball, control the tempo, control the line of scrimmage, let your defense play like it did last weekend, and come back and get the W and get prepared for Baylor uh, after Thanksgiving. To me, that's the mission. And, and, and Quinn Ewers needs to, you know, you, you don't – Quinn has to understand you don't have to have the big play every series. You don't need that. Sometimes these, this, this offense scores so much, sometimes you need to just put it in, in, in drive and go about 55. You, you need to pick up a few first downs and just let the clock roll and, and give your defense a little bit of a rest and kind of try to control the, the, the game a little bit from that side of the ball. And Quinn's learning that. I like how you said referenced uh, freshman Quinn. Uh, he's learning that kind of stuff, and that's what that's what you get with a first-year quarterback. And so, at the end of the day, yeah, Quinn's got to be better, and, and he knows that. Sark knows that, and I think you'll see a better product from number three on Saturday. But until the 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 involvement of Bijan and Rashawn increases, you're you're going to have the same issues. You're going to have the same problems. Sark is overthinking this to a T. He, he's 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 making it a little bit more difficult than it needs to be to your top. NFL prospects that are probably going to be drafted the first and third rounds next year. Uh, get them involved. You only have them for three more games. Yeah, and I think what I mentioned and what you mentioned, you can find a solution with both of them coming together. I don't think that Roshan or Bijan were targeted in the past game against TCU. Granted, I'm not sure what TCU may have done themselves defensively to make that difficult, but you know, and I know a lot of people talk about that wheel route, and it was there, but uh, I remember Quinn said post game when he looked, Bijan and the linebacker were bumping into each other. Yeah. And at that moment, he's like, well, he's covered. So I'm going to knock turn, him off and the boom, track. there he goes. So yeah. tough luck on that one. Um, you know, it, it sometimes that happens. It's football. And uh, the guy breaking at the end makes it think, oh, he was wide open. He went open when he looked. So that's that. But yeah, I think, bro, you can combine solutions to both the problems we're presenting by giving Quinn some easy passes, and, and that includes getting the ball to Bijan Robinson, who can split out wide or split out as the number three receiver kind of closer to the tackles and do some 
great things in the open field against linebackers and safeties that most other running backs can't do. Um, I think with regards to some of the more difficult plays, you know, a lot of Steve Sarkeesian's deep shots, and I think this is true of almost any offense, the progression goes back to front or deep to short. So you got that deep route to Worthy and then an intermediate route to maybe Sanders and Whittington and then maybe one more to Sanders or Whittington. So um, a lot and, you know, it's it's part of Steve Sarkeesian's offense. It's a feature that if it's open or close to open, that first read he's going to throw. And you yeah. haven't seen that a lot. So I think what Steve Sarkeesian needs to do in order to help solve all these issues is, yeah, those deep shots are going to be there. They're going to be part of the offense. It's something that's going to happen over and over with Texas. I don't think it's happened as much as people want to complain about, but still there are about four or five at this point wasted downs that have happened. I think Steve Sarkeesian needs to be able to call some intermediate stuff, get his guys the ball in space in, you know, maybe short of the sticks and let them try to work. And that definitely includes getting the ball to, to Bijan and Roshan. Yeah. Simplify to me. It's simplified. And we've seen that when, when Quinn would come off a rough outing, you would, we would see him work his way back in with something, the dink and dunk style. And there's nothing wrong with that. You, you know, at the next level, he's going to need to, to, to have all of that type of stuff solved. It's not always in the deep post. And, and I'm one of those guys. It, it, you're wasting downs at this point because, it, yeah, I'm not going to bemoan about it anymore. But I, I will say you've got receivers that don't always finish routes. You've got receivers with alligator arms at times. And it, as Rubble will tell you, you know, you've got to make it simple. You've got to make it basic. And to me, simplifying is Bijan and Rashawn and everything else. Make it easy and do not try to overthink things in Lawrence. You can if they go up there and, and, and have the same performance on the offense they did last Saturday, fellas, <laughs> that's gonna be a tough, that tough task in Lawrence, and it's gonna be cold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As, as our good friend Rod Baber says, put some Bijan on it. That's all you need to do. So that's that's kind of the, uh, the the call with the the offense and some of the struggles. And again, it's going to be cold. It may not be as windy around game time, but it's going to be pretty dang chilly up in Lawrence, Kansas. So I got to get the the big jackets from under my bed. Uh, but one of the things that cold helps out is defensive linemen. And over the past few games in this season. We've definitely seen a few Texas defensive linemen step up, and one of them who I'm working on a story about is, is Baron Sorrell. Uh, number 88 plays that strong side defensive end position. There are a lot of times last year when he would come off the field. Uh, Texas decided to use its uh, defensive tackle depth to have maybe Ojimo, uh, Coburn, and Collins on the field at the same time and maybe mix in guys like Vernon Broughton, uh, Tavondre Sweat, you know, Byron Murphy, but they would have basically three defensive tackles and Ovia Gofu on the field. And we saw that even during the early portions of this year. Right. Still in that base, <clears throat> in Pete Kwiatkowski's preferred 2-4-5, he, 
he likes having a guy who, for the most part, is playing the edge going forward, but every now and then will be able to do something. And, and Baron Sorrell has stepped his game up this year to be able to fill that role as Pete Kwiatkowski wants. And that allows, A, you know, you're getting good play from him. He had 11 tackles. He had, a, I think, a two – he had a handful two and of and tackles. A half tackles I think he had a sack and a half. But B, that also has good downstream effects, and it allows Texas to rotate its defensive tackles, keep guys like Coburn, Sweat, Ojomo, Broughton, Murphy, uh, Collins, keep them moving and you know limit them to about, I don't know, 30-something snaps where those guys are really effective on snap 25 as compared to snap 45. So Baron Sorrell, not just his own play uh, helping Texas, but uh, helping Texas down in other areas and you know, I don't know how good TCU's offensive line is, despite being a top four team. They've been obviously serviceable enough. You'd have to think that they're a little better than the Kansas offensive line. Now, granted, Kansas can do some scheming that'll make things difficult for uh, defensive linemen and basically any defender. But Baron Sorrell's done a lot of disruption lately and, and has been a, one of the developmental stories of the Texas defense over this, uh, the course of these 10 games. It, you know, one of the most positive takeaways from the one possession loss to TCU was the defense, Joe. Um, and we've seen we've seen flashes of this this season. We've seen them playing lights out before. Uh, I, the thing with this week, you know, last week against TCU is it seemed like everyone was rallying the ball. It was it was it was such a team effort. Sorrell played out of his mind. John A. Barron played well. Demarvion Overshone played well. Jalen Ford played well. I mean, the, the the stats were ridiculous on that defensive side of the ball. And you're going to have some of that carryover. I, I wonder how much of that was Gary Patterson influenced, how much, you know, how much he, you know, how much input he had on on tendencies and, and, and things of that sort against the TCU offense. I tend to think there was a pretty heavy and pretty heavy calling there. Kansas is going to be a little bit different. Like you said, they'll scheme open some different things. They've got some weapons that they can score. And, and to me, Jalen Daniels is, is a scary prospect. Now, Jason Bean has come in and, and filled in admirably. He's been he's done well. He, he throws a good ball. I believe that kid's a, a from the Frisco area originally. Um, he, he's done well. But Jalen Daniels is one you got to watch because he's the one that, that really put the offense on his shoulders the first half of the season before his injury and, and was just dynamic, looking outstanding. And then you got Devin Neal is another guy that, that you got to stop. So I love that Sorrell is allowing those guys – in the middle to be fresh. Well, mm-hmm. you know, we do the snap counts every Sunday and you notice that and to me, the, 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 the more balanced that is, the better the defensive is to, if Devondre sweats in 45 snaps, those aren't great snaps. If he's playing 28 to 32 snaps, those are outstanding. And that's like the difference in sweat being drafted in the fourth or fifth round or going in the sixth and seventh round. It's that motor because you don't want to take plays off. Sorrell is allowing these guys to do that. And we've seen him flash this this season as well. His dad, Barry, is a huge fan of Inside Texas, and, and we're, we're real grateful for that guy. But, boy, Barron, we, we've seen Barron doing some of this all season long where you really needed somebody on the edge to, to make plays. You you know, when they didn't get O'Shawn Mathis uh, in the, from the transfer portal, a lot of people thought, well, you know, that, that was a hole they didn't fill. Sorrell says, I got it, and he has. And he's played really well. You hope that carries over from from TCU to Kansas. There's no reason it won't. 
But obviously, to give those to give the rest of the defense that much help, I think it's huge, especially the secondary. Joe, we went into that TCU game thinking, now, all right, the secondary's dinged up. There's a lot of mixing and matching. We've seen them try to do things on the fly that didn't work necessarily. Those guys played great. Well, when you got Baron Sorrell and those D linemen coming downhill for the quarterback, that's going to help the secondary. And so you've had that trickle down effect going out to the next levels. And from that right there, I think that's so much to build on. And Kansas is going to be a good test. This is not the same Jayhawk team. I'll say it again. These guys play hard. They're well coached. Lance Leopold is a very likable guy who's going to get a ton of phone calls. And so at the end of the day, this 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 group, Sorrell has been kind of a catalyst, so to speak. You know, when he gets active and, and he get he makes things happen, it, there's a trickle-down effect that helps the rest of the defense. If that defense that played against TCU shows up in Lawrence, I love UT's chances. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it always has an effect on recruiting. I, I don't think if Baron Sorrell uh, has a good year like he's had, that Texas is able to, you know, make an impact on guys like uh, Colton Vosick. Of course, uh, Oklahoma's struggles have helped there as well. But, you know, Billy Walton as well, like that, that's two flips from two Oklahoma schools now that I think of it. So having players put on good performances like that, that really helps not only the on-field product, but also uh, the the sell the that they have on the recruiting trail. There was another standout performance, though, um, on Saturday, that at least to our eyes, and that Steve Sarkeesian even identified as well. Uh, and it was at the cornerback position um, from Terrence Brooks. Uh, you know, when on, on Saturday before the game, uh, it started getting out that Deshaun Jamison would miss due to, and, and Steve Sarkeesian clarified after it was due to a concussion. Um, that you know put the next you know that put the next man up and at sometimes that's been Austin Jordan at other points it's been Jameer Johnson but in this game it was Terrence Brooks a true freshman from Little Elm so Texas had two starting cornerbacks from from Little Elm on the field and Brooks performed really well uh, didn't really check his his PFF grades uh, but he had gotten some good playing time this year um, you know mostly in in spot backup duty at, at cornerback but. He performed well. He had four tackles. He had a third down stop. Uh, unfortunately, he was part of the uh, mix-up um, that led to Quentin Johnston's touchdown. Still not super I, – I, I couldn't tell, and I don't know if it was ever clarified who was the goof uh, on, on that play. But It was a know, collective that, goof. Uh, they're always collective goofs, exactly. But um, that was something that, that – uh, it was going to be interesting to see, especially against a, a TCU wide receiver core that included Quentin Johnston, Savion Williams, uh, Jordan Hudson, you know, Tay Barber, uh, even uh, Jared Wiley. That's a lot of pretty good pass catchers. And uh, Terrence Brooks held his own. We'll see if Deshaun Jameson will be available. We'll talk to Steve Sarkeesian in about an hour or so. Uh, probably when this video is published, we'll, there'll be some clarity on it. But um, you know, Terrence Brooks not only showed a, a, a bright present, but even a bright future at that cornerback position. That's the thing. You know, Terrence Brooks has we, – we, we talk about so many different things uh, on the team. Brooks has quietly, you know, made his way up the depth chart. He, he's actually had really good practices the last couple months. Uh, you know, Sark had even brought him in to, to, the, to his office probably five, six weeks ago 
had a one-on-one -on -one with him, said, look, man, we love your, what, what you're doing. We love, you know, how you're developing. You know, if you'll do this and you'll do that, you know, you'll be on the field a lot faster. Terrence applied that. That's exactly what he did. And so that's, that's how you get those young guys experience. You know, when you have, when you have guys get dinged up, when you have guys that are missing for, for various reasons, Brooks stepped in, you know, he had a 77.9 tackling grade, which was one of the top in the, on, on the defense last week against TCU, uh, you know, via the PFF grades. This is a kid that, you know, played 67 snaps before that. I think his high was maybe six or seven in a game, but don't forget Brooks comes from a family of defensive backs. His father, Chet, played in the NFL for, for years for the San Francisco 49ers. And if you talk to those guys during the recruitment, Terrence was raised to be a DB. It's just sort of ingrained in his, in, in his DNA. And, and Terrence has the mentality to be really good at that position. He can forget things real quick which you have to when you're playing corner. He has the potential to play nickel. He could play some safety. We were talking about this the other day. There's a number of places you could see Terrence Brooks on this defense next year, but he's going to be on the field and he's going to be effective. And it's because of performances like last week. You want to see more of that. Now, granted, we'll, we'll see what, what Jamison's situation is probably later, later today, like you said, when you see Sark. But Brooks, if he showed anything, he showed this is a kid that's going to get in there, get in the mix, He's not afraid. He's physical, especially for his age. I mean, we're talking about a kid that I think is barely 18 years old now. When he enrolled, I think he was 17. This is a young, young kid trying to, to, to find himself. He's getting more mature. He's getting more experience. And now he's getting more faith from, from the Texas defensive coaches and, and, and Sark himself. This is a kid that's setting himself up for a big offseason in which it's going to be needed. This is something Texas is going to need for him next year. And I'll be curious to see. I think he sticks at corner. I think once you're a corner, you don't screw with that because they're so difficult to find. But there's a lot of lot of lot of prospects and a lot of talent in that back end right now. So it'll be interesting to see how Brooks's career kind of the trajectory goes. Yeah, and, and you know that's a big credit to Terry Joseph for working on that late flip from Ohio State. And you know, kind of funny, two Ohio State guys of sorts, and Ryan Watts. Uh, and Terrence Brooks to end up at, 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 you know, from Little Elm to end up at Texas and both turn in solid performances. So pretty, you know, that'll be interesting to see, but I think that's just another example of another freshman earning trust and earning trust early uh, from a very talented class that Steve Sarkeesian, excuse me, was able to bring in. So anything else on Brooks or uh, want to look at some, some big picture stuff real quick? No, I, I'm just I'm excited about Terrence Brooks because that's a young prospect. Like you said, they 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 flipped him from Ohio State early. I I tend to think that conversation with with Quinn Ewers and Ryan Watts to Brooks kind of went like, "Look, have you been to Columbus in December? Pick Austin. It's not hard. It was not it was not a hard decision." And and it, give Terry Joseph a ton of credit there. But now I want to let's let, let's look at the big picture. Let's look at kind of where things are settling in. Technically, Texas is still in the mix for a Big 12 championship appearance. Doesn't seem likely. A lot of things have to happen, but that's the Big 12. And, and right now, this has been a a, a, com a conference of parity, I'd say, in 2022. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I know that there are a lot of Texas fans that don't even want to hear us mention it, but there, the Big 12, an appearance in the Big 12 title game is still on the table and still worth mention. Now, I think Texas obviously needs to win the last two games. They also need, I think, both Oklahoma State and Kansas State to drop a game, which um, I don't know the I don't know exactly what their remaining schedule is, but I think it is a there is a potential of that. So if Texas wins out and Oklahoma State and Kansas State each lose one, um, Texas could find themselves in Arlington, and that'd be a feat because there's there's never been a three loss conference team or. Th- a big 12 team with three conference losses in the current iteration of the big 12 championship game where it's one versus two to have made the big 12 title game. And I think that speaks a lot to just how much the, how much parity is in the conference this year, but considering Texas has six wins, I think it's worth discussing what the possible bowl destinations are. And you can start at the top. We'll do this real quick. If they win the big 12, they're going to the sugar bowl. There's a deal in place, I believe, considering the Sugar is not a playoff bowl this year. No, it's Fiesta and Peach are the are the playoffs. So the Sugar's not a playoff uh, or semifinal. The winner of the Big 12, if it is not a playoff team, they go to the Sugar Bowl. Um, let's say, for instance, and I know, I know, getting ahead of ourselves, let's say Texas plays TCU in the Big 12 title game. TCU still runs the table, wins the Big 12 title game, and is a top four team goes to the playoff. As we learned in 2018, the Sugar Bowl takes the next team. It doesn't have to be, you know, who ends up with a better conference record. They take that number two team who was in the Big 12 title game. Texas could find themselves in the Sugar Bowl. But now let's deal with more likely stuff. So I think the best way to go about this is to think, you know, the SEC tells teams where they're going. It's like, you're going to this bowl. You're going to this bowl. That's not how it works with the Big 12. The bowls have selection order, um, and it's considering Texas did not make a bowl last year, um, basically any of them are on the table to where whoever gets that selection is probably going to choose either Texas or another uh, you know, quality team near the top. So for the sake of this argument, let's just say that Texas – let's say TCU doesn't make the playoff which I think is a distinct possibility and a strong possibility. They don't make the playoff, so they go to the Sugar. Uh, the Alamo Bowl has the next selection, and you know how much Texas and the Alamo Bowl have had an affinity for each other over the past 10 years. I know Texas fans don't like it, but that's the second best bowl and the best non-New Year's Six Bowl available to the Big 12 at this point. After that is the Cheez-It Bowl in Orlando, followed by the Texas Bowl in Houston. And then I don't think it goes any further uh, than the Liberty Bowl, which is in Memphis. So, um, you know, I'm I'm all for, uh, you know, personally staying in state. I like the <laughs> idea of sleeping in my own bed, I, either whether it be the Alamo Bowl or, you know, my childhood bed if it's the Texas Bowl. But, you know, considering all that, what do you in, in considering you know just the entire college football landscape with TCU in the playoff picture, uh, with Texas maybe in a Big 12 title conversation? I know a lot of people don't want to have that. Where do you think Texas ends up bowl wise with two games to play? 
you know, it's it's one of those things, Joe. Like you said, the Alamo Bowl is actually the better of all those bowls, aside from the New Year's Day bowls, obviously. The Alamo Bowl is actually a pretty good bowl, and they've had some good matchups there. They've beaten some good teams in, in, in those bowl games, uh, notably Utah a couple of years ago. Um, but if I'm, you know, if I'm a Texas fan, I want to get the hell out of this state for a bowl game. If I'm a Texas football player, I want to get the hell out of this state for a bowl game. You know, a bowl game is is, is, a, is a reward. It's a trip somewhere new, somewhere different, a new experience. There is nothing new about hitting 35 and, and going to San Antonio. There is nothing about that alluring to these players. Uh, Texas in, at Bowling Houston is not much better. That, that, that That's kind of along the same, same path. Let's go to Orlando, Joe. I got to go there for Under Armour anyway. We knock out two birds with one stone. Let's go to the Cheez-It Bowl. I honestly, I want to know what the Cheez-It Bowl gives the media members. I'm curious to see what kind of stuff you get, what kind of swag, because the Sugar Bowl sets you up. We got some really nice stuff. But if the Cheez-It Bowl, listen, my son is obsessed with Cheez-Its. And and now that they've had all the different types now, they have like a a whole uh, different levels of Cheez-Its, snaps, puffs, I'm pro cheese ball at this point. Get the hell out of this state for a bowl game. Take these kids somewhere else because they've earned that and they deserve that. And then the Liberty Bowl, I know last year a lot of it, a lot of talk was Texas could potentially go there. That's another one that Memphis in December, hey, that's different. Let them let them go see let, let them go see Graceland. Let, let, them, let them go to the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville down the road if they have to. Get to the Liberty Bowl. My whole take is get out of this state. These bowl games are a reward. These kids don't want to get on a bus and drive 45 minutes to their bowl game. They'll show up. They'll, they'll do what they always do. But if I'm a Texas fan, I'd rather get a bowl somewhere else. And, and then we can look at, as we get closer, the matchups. Because the, to me, that's the most interesting. As of, you know, for a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at a potential Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Bowl. And to me, that would have been better than any of the other ones. That would have been perfect, absolutely, uh, for a bowl game if the SEC would have even allowed it at this point. But now it appears that um, Texas A&M may not even make a bowl. So for that to happen, the Aggies have to pull their weight, and they're not doing that right now. So to me, get out of state. I understand from your standpoint. I've been in your shoes. Uh, A flight compared to a drive to San Antonio is a lot easier. Or going to Houston and staying with family and friends was a lot easier as well. But if I'm a player, I want to go somewhere else. I want to get out of the state because as for for forever, and I'll say one thing, and I think some of the older Texas fans will appreciate this, I miss the Holiday Bowl. I don't know why, but San Diego was cool in December. The Holiday Bowl was always a high-scoring affair. There were always great games in the Holiday Bowl. How would I? Because I mean, Texas went for a long time in the early 2000s. I kind of miss those those days. I miss that bowl game. How about the Sun Bowl? How about the Blue Bonnet Bowl? Why don't we bring some of these jokers back? You know, just Texas and Alamo. Hey, I'm a Texan through and through, but I, I want to go somewhere different, and I imagine these players do too. Yeah, I'll I'll go to the Riverwalk seven days a week, so uh, I can That's- live with that. But. <laughs> Here's a, one last oh, interesting you and Tim note. Only once. One last interesting note. It's a good thing Texas is Texas because there's a chance that every Big 12 team 
has a path towards bowl eligibility. I don't know how. I don't know how that worked out that way. They're going to run out of bowls, but I think there is a path. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think Texas Tech and Oklahoma need one win. West Virginia and Iowa State both need two wins, and I think the math works out to where every Big 12 team could just make it. Probably very unlikely, uh, but still a, a distinct possibility. So we'll see. We'll be uh, booking stuff in a couple weeks. That'll probably, unless Texas makes the Big 12 title game, uh, that's something that'll probably be revealed um, right after the last game of the season, or maybe right after the Big 12 title game. I think that's how that works. They go through the selection process. We'll have an idea before that, but yeah, it officially comes after that that title game. All right, Justin, it's pick time, and uh, you and I both made correct picks. Uh, we thought Texas would win. We were wrong there, but we didn't think they would cover the seven. Um, obviously, with TCU winning outright, means we were unfortunately correct. You're now sitting at seven and three. I'm at four and six. So I need a couple wins to get to bowl eligibility. Texas this week at Kansas, they are a nine point favorite. That means if Texas covers, it's got to be a little bit better than a one-score game. Do you think Texas can can get the nine points over the uh, can can win by more than nine points over the Jayhawks and Lawrence? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I don't. I think this is a one-score game. I do think the offenses come back to life. I do think we see some more some more scoring compared to last week. Um, but in no way has Texas outside of the OU game shown they can blow anybody out. And that was more of a snowball effect. That, that was just a, a culmination of really good play on both sides of the ball by Texas and Oklahoma just looking absolutely flat-footed and, and unprepared. I don't think they can cover. Uh, I'll, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take Texas, but I, I, I not the points. I, I think this is going to be a one-score game. Um, nine seems a little steep. Vegas knows what they're doing, and you know, with me going in at it seven and three, you know, please, you know, fans understand this. If I had put a dime on any of this, that wouldn't be the case. That record would be completely backwards, you know. But since I'm playing with house money. Uh, inside Texas money, so to speak. Uh, I, I've been lucky this year. I, I'll take Texas, but I'm not taking the points. I, I just don't see them winning by more than two scores, especially if Jalen Daniels comes back. And especially, you know, in Lawrence where Can- Kansas is playing pretty salty at home. Yeah, I mean, it, let's just look back, back to the previous Texas games. Um in, in Lawrence again, they they didn't have one in in 2020 due to the uh, pandemic. Uh, in 2018, you know, a, a really good Texas team that played for a Big 12 championship went to Lawrence the day after Thanksgiving and was in a tough one. Uh, some special team snafus cost the Longhorns, but uh, they they were able to pull out the win at the very end. Um, when it comes to, uh, you know, 2016, we, we all know what happened there. That was one of the, uh, 
least fun things I've ever had to do on a job is to cover that game where Deontay Foreman got 50 carries and uh, that none of them were particularly fruitful. 2014, 23 nothing shutout, nothing super impressive. Tyrone Swoops had two touchdowns and, uh, you know. I was at that one. And it yeah, was, so and, I, and, and there were there were six hundred and twelve fans in the stands. There's going to be a half lot of those were the band. Exactly. Um, but as far as this one goes, you know, going to be cold, going to be a, a trenches type game. I'm with you. I, I think Texas can win, but I'm not sure if they get to nine. Uh, and I think that speaks to you know lack of trust in this Texas team, and also just a, a, a t- tip of the cat to the quality that Lance Leipold has put together on the field this year that has him as a contender to, to fill jobs like, you know, Nebraska or maybe even Wisconsin or any other job that opens up there in the, in the Midwest. So yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to side with you on that one as well. I think Texas can take this one, but I don't think they, they win by nine. So, but that'll get to, uh, that'll get Texas to seven wins. That's a two game improvement. Um, that's, that's a, thing to to celebrate but you know i know the program definitely has higher aspirations eight would be nice and maybe even a ninth if they can get there but that's looking pretty far ahead that is joe and listen if they get nine wins i i I don't care how they get nine wins that's a successful season you know fans always have a little uh over over inflated expectations that's normal especially you know we've dealt with texas fans for so long that's kind of the way it goes if they get nine wins. They they, they finished this season on a three game winning streak, and, and and that that carries over into the spring. That's going to help solidify essentially a top five recruiting class. That's going to help solidify getting some of those guys into the league and drafted, and then also uh, help helping the transfer portal because there will only be a few spots that really need help. There's a lot of depth on this team. Sark has has just transformed the roster to the point where they don't have to just change everything they can actually just add a few pieces here and there kind of similar to what they did this year and so to me nine wins would be would actually I think I predicted at the beginning of the year an eight or nine win season I thought that would be the most realistic they've played like a 10 or 11 win team at times this year but you are what your record says you are Bill Sell Bill Parcells has that trademark but I, I just I wanted to add Texas fans guys if this is a if this team gets to nine wins in the current climate I think that's a big jump. I actually feel like that's a good a, a good season. I feel like that's something that Sark can hang his hat on that will easily push them into the offseason and, and really kind of lead up to a, a, a more expectation-based 2023. Absolutely. But there's two games, and we'll see what Texas teams yeah. show up for those two games. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for watching on Texas Football. Once again, make sure you like this video. Helps us out. Subscribe to this channel. Helps us out. Uh, make sure you visit InsideTexas.com. Uh, got a lot of good stuff going on over there. On3 has got a lot of great stuff going on as the, as the year is winding down. If you want to keep up with some playoff teams and see what's going on in that neck of the woods, Bama, Tennessee, Georgia, uh, USC, there are sites there just in case you wanted to check out what's going on around the country. Uh, But come to Inside Texas. Thank you, Justin, for uh, another tremendous episode. Hopefully I can catch up with you against the spread. And thank you to Matthew Hutchinson for being our producer extraordinaire and a rebel who made an appearance today over there behind Justin. So, Justin Wells, I'm Joe Cook. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.